0: I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Are you doing Dry January? You know, the trend where people start the year by holding off from consuming alcohol. When you're out and about socializing, and you still want to feel a little fancy, what do you drink? That's where mocktails come to the rescue. Shirley Temples are great, that's right. But the options have really expanded as bartenders and mixologists have stepped up their game. Who's drinking mocktails? Why did they make the switch? Later this hour, we'll talk with mocktail enthusiasts and mixologists about these tasty drinks. And we might try some for ourselves, for research purposes. But first, Tennessee leads the nation in the number of anti-transgender laws on its books and more are set to go before lawmakers get started next week. WPLN's Mariana Bacayau has been tracking those bills and joins us now to discuss what's next. Mariana, what's up? How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Doing well. Thanks for being here. So, you know, three bills have been filed this session related to gender presentation. Can you tell us more about them?
1: Yeah, so uh, the first bill was actually... The first bill proposed this year, Senate and House Bill 1, would ban gender-affirming health care for minors. That means no surgeries, no hormone therapy, and no puberty blockers. The language of the bill talks about surgeries pretty broadly, but I should note that really the only gender-affirming surgeries happening in Tennessee for minors were chest surgeries for those transitioning to male. They were only an option for those 16 years of age or older with a parent's permission and a doctor's backing. Vanderbilt University Medical Center has stopped performing those surgeries after getting heat from Republican leaders in the state house. The hospital says they were only doing about five of those a year.
0: Mm, what about hormone therapy?
1: Well, hormone therapy is a bigger deal for trans youth. It's mm. more common than surgeries, and it can have a big effect on them into adulthood you know starting them during puberty is going to have a bigger effect on your gender presentation than starting it as an adult I've talked to a lot of trans youth who say starting hormones even if you're not seeing big results at first is incredible for their mental health and feeling a sense of belonging during a stressful period of their life
0: Mm. now will there be any exceptions under this bill if it passes
1: there are two. The first is for minors with, quote, congenital defects, sort of leaving room for parents of intersex kids who maybe aren't easily assigned a gender at birth. And for the other, essentially, if you are already taking hormones before the bill goes into effect, you can continue taking them. If it passes, that would make the deadline July 1st.
0: Hmm. That's very confusing, I would say. So, you know, what else has been filed?
1: Well, there is another bill that would ban gender-affirming care. It's only been filed in the Senate, so it would need a House counterpart by Tuesday. That's the deadline to file. But it really has the same language as the bill we were just talking about. I spoke with our political reporter, Blaise Ganey, and he says, if anything, it's likely parts of it will find its way into other bills, but it's probably dead. The other bill that uh-huh. maybe has a little more life would ban drag shows in public spaces or, you know, anywhere a minor could see it. Why the
0: jump from healthcare to drag shows?
1: Well, it is part of a bigger trend in the state house for the past few years. There's been several new laws limiting gender expression and specifically transgender people in the state. But we've also seen an effort by local officials to stop drag shows from happening. You see that in places like Murfreesboro, Chattanooga, Jackson City. In Cookville this past weekend, there was a protest against a drag show for trying to indoctrinate children, despite it being an 18 plus event. Members of the Proud Boys were there and at least one protester was photographed doing a Nazi salute and another was holding a swastika. And a little less extreme, but a little closer to home, Pride organizers in Murfreesboro tell me that the city is denying their permits because drag shows are usually a part of Pride and they don't want the drag shows to happen. Uh That's despite Pride being there for many, many years.
0: So why is there pushback now?
1: Well, it's political. Across the country, Republicans have made anti-trans laws or anti-trans issues a big part of their campaigns. But this isn't new. Drag has always been political. Drag queens were at the center of the Stonewall riots and the push for queer rights while their gender expression was being policed. But while this bill is specifically targeting drag shows, it could have repercussions for queer Tennesseans on and off the stage. Here's what Henry Seaton from the ACLU of Tennessee had to say about it when we last spoke.
2: They don't define male and female impersonators as just drag performers. That can easily be a trans person. You know, there's the phenomenon of walking while trans where specifically like trans women of color, while just existing, oftentimes get the police called on them just for like being trans.
1: So... The fear is by criminalizing drag, it's opening the door to criminalize any sort of gender nonconformity, which would greatly affect transgender people. But, you know, it's not unheard of for cisgender people to be caught in the crosshairs of measures like these because they don't fit with a certain idea of gender. Mm.
0: Well, how does this compare to the bills targeting LGBTQ rights in the past?
1: Uh, largely that legislation's uh it's focused on schools. The state house has banned trans kids from using the school bathroom or playing on the sports team that aligns with their gender. The trans athlete ban has since expanded to the collegiate level. Now, we have proposals for limiting health care for trans kids and their exposure to queer culture. So the focus here is on the youth. But these bills have gone from measures that specifically target transgender people to things that affect the larger LGBTQ community or honestly, you know, anyone who doesn't conform to that idea of gender.
0: Now, what's next for these bills? Or, you know, I know I'm asking you to speculate here, but do you have a sense of how likely they are to pass?
1: Well, as for what's next, both are scheduled to have their first reading on Tuesday. Uh, There's no that doesn't necessarily mean they're guaranteed to be read. I'd say there's a very good chance they ultimately pass. There's a lot of ire against trans health care and drag shows in the Republican base. And the legislature hasn't had much of a problem passing bills like these in recent years. But there usually are legal challenges to them after they pass. Mm. For the anti-trans law still in effect that I mentioned, there were other laws struck down by the courts.
0: That is WPLN's Mariana Bacayal. Mariana, thanks again for being here and thank you for your reporting.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with a few local enthusiasts and learn why they go wild for mocktails. Do you drink mocktails? Join the conversation and tell us why. Tweet us at This is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Head out to a bar or restaurant any day of the week and you'll see plenty of people ordering cocktails, having a good time. But what if you don't drink alcohol or you're taking a break from booze? How can you go booze free with something more than water or soda? Whatever your reasons for going alcohol free, Mocktails could be the move. They're thirst-quenching beverages with flavor profiles that can be just as complex as their high-proof counterparts. So, who's drinking mocktails these days? For starters, my next guests. Abra Miles and Micah Nelson, thank you both for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville.
3: Thank you. Thank
0: you. This is really great. All right, Abra, can you tell us, how did you discover mocktails?
3: Um, I've had a history of... Um, being in sobriety, um, just to take some time from my mental health. And in that, I was uh, searching for alternatives to still participate in going out with friends, but not wanting to be particularly othered. So Mm. that's kind of how I got into discovering mocktails as a way, uh, as an alternative to Sort of drink without drinking.
0: What did you think the first time you had one?
3: You know, I've some of it was hit or miss, um, but I think the first time was pretty good, and since then I've uh, had bartender friends who've been able to upscale it a little more for me.
0: Louis, well, so you get a, you get a personal concoction. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Micah, how about you? What turned you on the mocktails?
4: I, I mean. My parents would take me to Demos downtown and they would get me a Shirley Temple because I would see them like ordering drinks and I was like, I want one. And they were like, Okay, um, let's get you a Shirley Temple then and I've been hooked ever since.
0: Shirley Temple's is your go to, huh? Yes. Okay, so I, I understand you're currently in college, right? Yes, I am. Now, you know, you sometimes drinking goes down a lot on college campuses. <laughs> Tell me, what what is the environment like at your school?
4: I would say so. Um, we're a dry campus, but it still it still happens um, quite a bit. Um, uh, but just very under the radar. Um, and so it's sort of this environment where. People.
0: It's a very open secret, you know. It's an open secret. Yes, I've I've been to a couple open secret parties in my past. All right. Now, you know, our next guest has not spoken publicly about her recovery journey before. So we're not using her full name. And welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much for being here with us.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: Can It's really a pleasure to have you here. Can you tell me a little bit about your recovery and how you got here?
5: Yeah, so... Um... After college, I had moved to New York City and worked in advertising. Um, and it was just kind of a continuation of college in terms of drinking. Um, so there was a lot of events and dinners and lunches, and everything kind of revolved around uh, drinking. So eventually, you know, I got through my 20s and early 30s, was like, I, I can't do this anymore. So everybody else kind of moving on, getting married, having families. And um, so I ended up in recovery um, and next month will be 10 years, um, sober. Um, and it's been great. Um, you know, all my, all my wishes and dreams came true and, and I do owe a lot of that to uh, the foundation of recovery in the program and, and staying sober.
0: Congratulations to you for 10 years being sober. That's really commendable. Now we're going to talk about the, some of the fun stuff. What do you like about mocktails? What makes them stand out to you? You
5: know what, I think that it's funny because when I first um, got sober, I had no idea that mocktails even, you know, existed. I was still going out and being present at, you know, work functions and hanging out with um, friends at bars. But I was, you know, ginger ale or Red Bull or water. um, And so really it's not, you know, until the past couple of years moving here to to Nashville um, that I've kind of got to taste some of these amazing mocktails. And they just... um, you know, they're, they're delicious. They taste, you know, just as tasty as the, as the real thing without any of the, you know, repercussions.
0: So well, it's, it's great. What did you think the first time you had one?
5: Um, I thought it was a really great alternative. Um yeah, and, and like somebody else mentioned, it's great to still feel a part of and go out and be social and um, and not really have to stand out or, or, you know, speak too much about your recovery and everything that goes with that.
0: Now, before you found Mocktails here in Nashville, what were some of your go-to non-alcoholic drinks? Uh,
5: ginger ale, Red Bull, um... You know, nothing, nothing too exciting. I think it's Mm -hmm. great that there are so many different um, options now out there.
0: You know, you know, you all mentioned this a little bit. Sometimes there can be social pressure to drink alcohol, Mm -hmm. especially on college campuses. You know, Micah, have you experienced that?
4: Um, Funnily enough, not really. Um, Like some of my first um, experiences with drinking I was a freshman in college, as pre-COVID, and I would be hanging out at these parties, and I would just be playing video games, and the people around me just let me let me do that mm-hmm. um, instead or have a ginger ale. Um, and I was I'm really grateful to be in those to to have people around me like that.
0: You know, as I said, I've been to a couple of these open secret parties on college campuses, and when people decide not to drink or partake sometimes there is a little bit of pressure. Sometimes people can, you know, if if you're not drinking with me, it's not as much fun for me. You know, Abra, mm-hmm. did you really have any experiences like that?
3: I did, um, especially in college, but even post-college. Uh, I'm a dancer and in the arts community, and I will say that There is a lot of pressure to drink to kind of take the edge off. Um, There's definitely a lot of party culture in that. And I definitely experienced a lot of pressure to drink even when, you know, my mental state wasn't in the right place or just wasn't feeling it that night. And also just as a member of the LGBTQ community, there's just like a lot of Party culture associated with that. And I think that has a lot to do with uh, bars and parties being a safe space for queer folks. Mm. Um, And so, with that comes this pressure of uh, if you're not part of the drinking, the partying, where do you find community?
0: How did that impact your relationship with your peers and friends?
3: I think. When I was younger, it definitely created a wedge and made me feel othered even within marginalized communities. But as I've gotten older and as I feel like there is more conversation about what sobriety looks like in a range of things, whether you're in complete recovery or sobriety is a temporary option for you, Uh, I think as I've gotten older, the pressure is a little bit um, less Mm. and I've noticed I I went sober for a while, a couple of years ago, and I realized that it was not about what we're doing, but who we're doing it with. And once I was able to cultivate friendships and community with people that regardless of whether they were sober or not, um, drinking was part of it, but not the center Mm -hmm. of our gathering.
0: Now... Anne, aside from the pressure to drink, do you feel pressure to explain why you're not drinking?
5: That is a great question, and I, I definitely did in the beginning um, because it was such a change from um, how I was social, socially. Socially, um, I used to come up with a whole bunch of reasons. I'd say, you know, oh, I'm training for a half marathon, or you know, I'm, I'm, you know, going to be driving tonight, or whatever the reason is. Now, 10 years into it, you know, I don't even think about it. Um, But in the beginning, absolutely, I felt like there was like a shining light on me and I needed to explain why I wasn't going to partake in in alcohol. Um, And and just through sobriety, realized that really nobody's really watching and nobody really cares, you know. They're just interested in themselves and making sure that they're having a good time. Um, And so less and less um, do I feel like I need to explain now.
0: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil lake We're talking this hour about mocktails with a few local enthusiasts. Now, you know, here in Nashville, there are entire social scenes built around drinking. Lower Broad is the most in-your-face example of that, but it's pretty widespread throughout the town. Abra, what's it been like for you? You mentioned this a little bit, choosing who you're with and how cultivating a community around that's not centered around drinking has really helped you with your mental health and approach that, you know, so what's it been like as you really tried to cultivate and find that community outside of drinking?
3: Oh, it's been great. I think I'm a person who values uh, meaningful connections. And I think when I have been in communities and in friendships where drinking is not the focus, um, I think my mind and sort of mentality has been more centered around creating those connections. And I think it's uh, surprisingly been a lot of fun, more fun than the things that come with drinking, the consequences of being hungover or just not feeling fully present. And so I think mm-hmm. that's the major thing is like being present with people.
0: Michael, how about for you? Have you been able to really find a community outside of drinking both on your college campus, but also when you're out in the city.
4: Yes. I mean I would say that I have friend I, I think I've got really lucky in college with the people I was able to surround myself with. And we are I I I would like to, to also uplift that I really value meaningful community in conversations. And so we are able to, um, for friends who drink and don't drink, we're able to have movie nights or go out and go to the local cat cafe. Um, it's, um, we, we find ways to get together without necessarily involving
0: nightlife. And tell me, you know, how important is it for you to have areas of socialization that aren't centered around drinking?
5: Yeah, it's extremely important. Um, the last thing I wanted to do when I, you know, got sober was to feel isolated and feel alone. Um, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why, you know, I, you know, drank so much, um, in the beginning. So it's very important. And I think the one thing that's really helped me has been the, the close relationships that I've developed, um, within recovery, within recovery in Nashville, within recovery in New York. There's, you know, an amazing fellowship of men and women. Um, and it's, it's really kept me, Going and kept me want to, you know, kept me wanting to continue this way of life because those relationships are some of the most, um, you know, deepest, um, you know, deepest friendships that I've developed.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Avery, you're a Nashville native. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the drinking culture here has changed over time?
3: Yes and no. Uh, I think there's a simultaneous conversation happening within certain communities here in the city where folks want alternatives to nightlife. And so I've seen an emergence of groups uh, for different communities that are offering get togethers and game nights and different things like that. But then I also, as we're seeing more emergence of people moving into the city and our city being, especially in the downtown area with bachelorette parties and just in general like that, I think um, there's also still a lot of heavy emphasis on drinking. And so it's kind of just figuring out where you fit within mm. the city.
0: Yeah, going out and discovering something. Mm-hmm. Now, Micah, are there any groups or social networks in town that promote a sober lifestyle?
4: Um, I would say yes. There are a lot of online um, communities. There's a page on Instagram called Queer Sober Nashville. And I understand that they facilitate um, community for queer people who uh, don't necessarily want
0: to drink. What do you like about Queer Sober Nashville?
4: I, I feel like for queer people, um, there are not a lot of spaces that are around partying or... Sort of the idea of going out for the night, you know, and so I like to look at people trying to make new concepts pop up, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and new ideas for queer community, you know.
0: Abra, do you follow Queer Sober Nashville? I do. Tell us about some of their events.
3: Um, I have seen that they have done plenty of events, especially there's a rise within the pandemic of... You know, movie nights, um, game nights um, and even uh, some collaboration with other groups like National GSA. Like I saw that there was a collaboration of having like a virtual talent show where Hmm. folks were able to get together and share, you know, their passions and their creativity, Um, you know, so I think. There's been a lot of room, not just within that group itself, but a lot of collaboration with other groups as well.
0: Now, is it fair to say that both of you, uh, Abra, you and Micah, you drink on very rare occasions, right?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Um, And as the older I get, it's become less and less and more reserved for special occasions or just uh, with dinner... Um, something like that, but it's not as consistent as it was then when I was in college and earlier twenties.
0: Micah, how about you? How often do you drink alcohol?
3: I
4: would say it's very similar. So whenever it has something to do with food, like someone's making a dish that pairs well with something that is, I, I treat alcohol as a nice special
0: occasion, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, and you're not drinking at all, and mocktails are, as you said, you know, a very fun option. Mm-hmm. But but they're similar to cocktails in some ways. So tell me, can that be a problem for folks in recovery?
5: Um, you know, in the beginning, I think in beginning um, sobriety, I probably um, would not have recommended um, having a mocktail. It just can be a little bit of a trigger, at least it was it was for me. You know, people would recommend like, try non-alcoholic beer. And it just, you know, I think I had one, but it just tasted a little bit too close to the real thing. Um, so it just depends, you know, I guess it depends why you've decided not to drink. But particularly in my case and and being in AA and in recovery, um, yeah, it it can be a little triggering in the beginning, but now, you know, having 10 years and having um, some time under my belt and and, um, getting to, you know, a healthy relationship um, around alcohol, like I I just, you know, the mocktails are a great option, but not so much for me in the beginning. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, Abra, tell me, what's your go-to mocktail?
3: that's hard. You know, I actually went out with friends last night and there was a house mocktail and I, the bartender didn't necessarily tell me what was in it, but it it definitely had like a citrus flavor. And uh, one of my roommates is a bartender. So that's usually my go-to at home is whatever they're concocting. Um, And really it's whatever they're concocting just minus the alcohol. So definitely more fruit flavored mm-hmm. drinks
0: citrusy
4: mm-hmm.
3: Are you like sweet yes
0: okay <laughs> micah how about you
4: um i will i also really like citrus drinks but i will always be a sucker for shirley temple mm-hmm. especially if you have luxardo cherries they're the the deeper deeper red ones and they have they they are less syrupy and they're a lot more
0: rich. So, I love those. So that's a fancy Shirley Temple you're into. Mm-hmm. All yes. right. And what's your go to mocktail?
5: Um, I was thinking about this. I think it's, I still love like a good virgin pina colada or, you know, virgin strawberry daiquiri, like something when I'm sitting on the beach and, you know, everybody else has got their cocktails, like, it's just awesome to have that kind of option.
0: So what do you say to anyone who wants to go out, have a good time without feeling the burdens of having to consume booze?
5: Um, you know, I just think that it's that nobody else is really paying attention to it as much as you are. At least that's been my case. Um, and I think, You've got to look and weigh the repercussions. Um, and there are some great mocktails out there that are just as tasty. I think somebody else mentioned um, being present. Like if you're able to be present and really engage with your friends, your coworkers, you know, people that you're with, and form you know stronger relationships because you are present and you're not kind of focusing so much on the alcohol or any of the effects of the alcohol. I think that's a you know, much better um, way to live than uh, than consuming too much alcohol and, you know, just kind of not being present and mm-hmm. not having those great memories.
0: Mm-hmm. That was Anne. She was joined by Abra Miles and Micah Nelson. I want to thank you all for being here with us on the show. Really appreciate it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll take you out to the bar for a lesson and learn more about mocktails from the people mixing them up. Join the conversation and tweet us at ThisIsNashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. This hour, we're talking about the non-alcoholic drink options in our town. Before the break, we talked about who is drinking mocktails here in Nashville, but what about the people who make them? What goes into making the perfect mocktail? To find out, our producers, Rose Gilbert and Magnolia McKay, went behind the bar at Le Loop in Germantown. Longtime bartender and beverage supervisor J.A. Harrison showed them how to make his favorite mocktail on the menu. The Four.
2: So we're going to start out by slicing up a serrano pepper and putting like two or three uh, bird's eye rings of serrano pepper into the bottom of the tin. And then it's going to get a quarter ounce of ginger stock, which is essentially just two parts ginger juice to one part sugar uh, to help sort of stabilize it and increase its shelf life. Uh, then we'll go with an ounce of pineapple juice, one and a half ounces of grapefruit juice, and a pinch of our house-made grapefruit salt. That all gets shaken in the tin. And then topped off with a little bit of club soda. It'll get strained into a coop that gets rimmed with our house-made grapefruit
6: salt.
7: Ooh! I'm not usually like a big spice person. It's really nicely balanced.
1: Why do you think it's important to have a distinct mocktail or zero-proof option? I mean, I think there are
2: quite a number of reasons why people would choose to not be imbibing. And I think making people not feel like they just have to sit there and drink water and not have fun is definitely uh, important from a hospitality perspective to make everyone feel welcomed and safe and wanted.
0: Kudos to Rose and Magnolia for taking us out to Le Loop. My next guests also make sure the cocktails you're drinking taste excellent. Natalie Newberry is the lead bartender at The Continental. Beau Gaultier is the owner and operator of Base Six. Andrea Greshel is the founder of Better Than Booze, a non-alcoholic beverage company. Natalie, Beau, Drea, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville.
7: Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So so listening to J.A. Harrison make that mocktail, you can really tell he puts a lot of care into his drinks. So Natalie, as a bartender and mixologist, what's your approach to mocktails?
7: So my approach to mocktails is... Trying to avoid just putting lots of juice and soda uh, in the Zero Proof uh, option. Um, I think we have a lot of really exciting uh, uh, non-alcoholic spirits out in the market now. Uh, So really um, focusing on that and playing with those flavors, it is a little more nuanced than uh, just making... Uh, Any other cocktail, as these spirits are just a little different um, from your typical spirit. Um, So really just trying to play with those flavors and make sure that they also can heighten the dinner experience, too.
0: Okay, so outside of, obviously, the alcohol content, what makes the non-alcoholic spirit options different from the standard?
7: Uh, so I think as bartenders, we're so used to um, the different profiles of the spirits and how to manipulate those to have a balanced drink. Uh, while these uh, zero-proof options also um, still have some of those reminiscent flavors, uh, they have they have a different way of balancing out. So you have to kind of manipulate them more uh, to make everything shine through.
0: Is it challenging to really create a good mocktail that stands up to other drinks?
7: I think so. I think sometimes it's more challenging to do that than work on other classic cocktails.
0: Mm, okay, now, Bo, you own a cocktail bar and with a very impressive menu. Well, how would you say your mocktails stack up to the alcoholic options you offer? Um, I like to think that
8: they, if aren't, if not exactly the same, sometimes a little bit better. I think there's a lot more you can do, especially whenever you're not kind of constrained to fighting with the alcohol taste, Mm. um, or having to kind of get over the hump of you know the heat of alcohol. in a general sense, I don't think people always go to bars just so they can drink. I think they go so they can be around other people in a place where it's you know safe to ha- actually hang out and talk and approach each other. Um, it's it's a really easy thing to do to just try to let your um, spirit-free options be a really high-margin item for your stuff. Um, but I think if you're you know if you're actually good at the whole thing, you should be able to get. At least pretty close. I mean, if you can't make a drink that's better than Sprite, we should probably we should probably just have Sprite, right? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: hear that. So tell me, what are some of the non-alcoholic options at Basics?
8: Um, so in general, we try to create non-alcoholic versions of the cocktails that already exist on our menu. Um, generally speaking, we'll try to use the ingredients that are you know have, have a shorter shelf life, um, ingredients that are more seasonally focused. Um, so for example, um, one that we kept from our last menu is a uh, it's a rosemary mule um, mm-hmm. we had this like rosemary black pepper syrup that we were making for our last menu um, black pepper and ginger just best friends when it comes to you know hanging out in a, in a cocktail together okay uh, so you know it's a super duper easy way to get a ton of flavor without over uh, you know like hitting you in the face with sweetness hitting you in the face with citrus um, it, it It is a very delicate balancing act, especially whenever you don't have, you know, these like tried and true recipes, but overall, um, you can get a lot of, uh, a lot of mileage out of a little bit. Is it possible to make
0: a non-alcoholic Sazerac?
8: Um, with the right spirits you can get there. I think that it might be one of the ones that, to me don't lend itself all the way to a
0: non-alcoholic cocktail, which really hurts for me since I'm from Louisiana. Mm. <laughs> okay, now, Andrea, you founded a non-alcoholic beverage company. What inspired you to start
6: Better Than Booze? Uh, first, let me just say that everybody's um, drink infusion, infusions just sound incredibly delicious. <laughs> <laughs> they so do. I want a mocktail now. Okay. Um, you know, for me, it was really a matter of I'm in the over 40 bracket. And I'm a mother and I work full time and I have aging parents and I'm on the go. I mean, I live a modern 2023 lifestyle where having too much alcohol or too much booze at this point for me, um, I don't feel 100%. And it's really important that I don't have um, the negative effects of alcohol in my daily life. Uh, so really that was the foundation and the aha moment to you know begin the journey of starting a beverage company.
0: Okay, so your drinks are infused with hemp. What's the reasoning for adding that feature?
6: I am glad you asked. The hemp infusion was an important leap from saying, look, I don't want alcohol, but I still want something that gives me a little bit of relaxation, a little bit of a vibe versus just a straight mocktail. And so that hemp infusion, ours is with CBD and a little bit of the trace THC, really kind of gives you, um, you know, kind of a a glass of wine type feeling uh, to where that relaxation is pronounced. And uh, it's a a really fabulous drink to have at the end of the day.
0: Will it impair people if they drink it?
6: Uh, That's an interesting question as well. In terms of impair, I can't really speak to that word specifically, I think it's like any adult beverage where we would say drink responsibly just like with alcohol
0: mm-hmm. Now Bo have you seen an uptake uh, an, up, an uptick of hemp infused products?
6: Uh,
8: I definitely have
0: yeah I mean, I
8: I kind of grab one as often as I can <laughs>
0: Okay, so you're down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What does that tell you about
8: what people want to consume these days? Um, I think to me it means that people aren't stopping drinking just because Alcohol is inherently evil. I think we're stopping drinking because we have these really fast lives uh, or we have medications like myself um, where, you know, it's just not really a viable alternative anymore. Um, I do think that people still want to have a way to kind of relax, disconnect, um, or even just, you know, at the the most base level, like just reduce their inhibitions uh, Mm -hmm. and put themselves in a social situation.
0: Now, Natalie, have you seen an increase or a decrease in people asking for mocktails, particularly since we got out of the pandemic lockdown.
7: I have. I feel like a lot of people um, even just use it as um, just kind of like a little break in the course of their evening. Like they started out having a few cocktails at happy hour, went to dinner. They want to do something later. So they're just even just taking a break and wanting to still feel included, um, but don't necessarily want to drink more at the moment.
0: mhm If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake-Alona. We're talking this hour about the delicious world of mocktails with Natalie Newberry, Bo Galtier, and Drea Greshel. Now, earlier in the show, our guests, they were talking about drinking culture here in Nashville. And, you know, there's there's bachelorette parties. We understand that. Now, Bo, how can these non-alcoholic options, how can they add to the experience that people have when they are going out in our town?
8: Um, Well, I I could talk about this for a really long time, but um, I think, in general, a a really big miss um, in the Nashville tourism um, push has been this kind of push for a a heavy drinking culture that I didn't really perceive existing before uh, this really big push to Broadway happened. Um, I think, if anything, having better um, alcohol-free options can at least kind of extend the the shelf life of your good time Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I think that a, a good rule of thumb is, you know, for every drink or so you have, maybe just, you know, stick with a with a spirit free option. Um, not every bar has to be a shot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when I was learning how to drink as an like an adult, it was told the rule of thumb was for every cocktail or mm-hmm. beer you have, have a glass of water mm-hmm. to keep it there. But a mocktail can do the same thing. Natalie, I'd, I'd love for you to weigh in. You know, when you when you're looking at our drinking culture here in Nashville, how can mocktails help to push or nudge that in a let's say a more healthy direction
7: yeah so I definitely see it as um just you're still uh instead of just calling it a night you're like oh I can you know play the long game here um and I can also uh, just have some more hydration added to that to the mix instead of just uh pounding drink after drink um With the location of where I work, I get to see people at the start of their evening and at the end as they come back from the opposite end of Broadway to the hotel. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm I'm like, oh, maybe this person should have, you know, had a few more zero proof options and maybe, (laughs) you know, they'd be... Standing upright.
0: <laughs> what, what type of zero-proof options do you that you go offer at the Continental?
7: Uh, so we have uh, quite a few. Um, we have a, about three different uh, non-alcoholic beer options, uh, but then we also um, have in a wine that we use in um, our. Uh, Spirit free cocktails. Uh, So we can do a um, non alcoholic French 75. Mm. Uh, We also have an NA Southside, um, as well as a um, Spritz, uh, reminiscent of an Aperol Spritz, uh, that features a zero proof Riesling, as well as Liar's Italian Orange uh, Spirit Free.
0: Wow, that sounds absolutely delicious. Um, Drea, tell me something. You know, our producer mentioned that a lot of people in town are Cali sober. Can you explain what Cali-sober really means?
6: Sure, absolutely. So Cali-sober is, is someone that is abstaining from alcohol. So they are sober that way, um, but might be um, deemed, quote unquote, not sober by way of cannabis. So it's kind of just a fun way to say, look, you're participating uh, with a plant as your head change ingredient versus alcohol. And that's Cali Sober.
0: That is Cali Sober. Okay, so, you know, how do you see that trend playing out here in Nashville?
6: Well, it's an amazing trend that really is sweeping the nation. And Nashville, uh, being in a conservative state, we're a little bit behind when it comes to some of the uh, regulatory components by state. But really, there's still a wonderful, thriving uh, hemp ingredient. Uh, enriched food and and beverage products here that are on the market and people that are interested in trying more of that Cali sober route uh, are Mm. experimenting and discovering these new delicious products.
0: Now we got a tweet in at this is Nashville from Elise Lamar who says quote I found Nashville bartenders very open to mocktails most ask for taste suggestions sweet Gingery, bitter, special shout out to Cafe Rose and Etch for outstanding concoctions. End quote. So Natalie, do you get requests based off of flavor profiles, preferred flavor profiles for people?
7: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people I think have had the experience where they've like been handed like a Shirley Temple type situation and they were like, Oh, this is so sugary. Like I wanna stay away from that. So they'll request something, you know, more on the acidic side. Um Something on the drier side.
0: You're in the hotel. Are people who are traveling here to experience this party culture, are they open to non-alcoholic options during their trip rather than just the end of their trip when they've drank themselves to oblivion?
7: I've been super surprised that, yeah, they have been. Um, A lot of them are like, you know, sometimes they're like, oh yeah, we hit Lower Broadway last night, so... I still wanna feel like I'm having something celebratory, but I don't think I can go to the uh, spirit forward yet.
0: Okay, okay. Now, Bo, how can somebody make a tasty cocktail at home with the ingredients they already have? I would say the big things to think about are what flavors you already
8: have that are, or what things you already have that are really jam-packed with flavor. Like, um, whenever I was on the the kind of like scarcity mindset at home, I was really into using like whatever preserves I had in my fridge uh, and shaking those with things like citrus and sugar. Okay. Um, you're not really going to get away from the the same like syrups, uh, you know, the same citrus that you're going to use in a regular cocktail. And uh, in a general sense, it's all about balancing those two things. I think um, if you can find a, a solid couple of like uh, spirit-free cocktail, you know, uh, recipes, you can kind of just tootle with the rest with the uh, ingredients that
0: you have in those, and and you'll always have a good time. Now, I've heard that one secret mocktail ingredient is pickle juice. Is that a real thing? Um,
8: you know, I can definitely. Uh, I'll say for first, I haven't experienced it myself, but I think that anytime you add. Uh, you know, salt uh, in any form and uh, into something—it's going to lend viscosity, which is what you're really getting out of alcohol whenever you add it to a cocktail. Hmm. Uh, you know, the higher the alcohol content of the liquid, the the more like syrupy it'll get, or more velvety, as I think maybe a better word. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's acidity in the form of vinegar, it's uh, it's viscosity in the form of salt. Uh, all you need is sugar, and you're you have a cocktail.
0: How could I make a non-alcoholic martini?
8: Um. For that kind of th- application, you're really going to want to lean on the the more like non-alcoholic spirit options. Um, I I don't really have a ton of experience using um, non-alcoholic spirits. There's never really been something that I really I haven't found any that I really enjoy yet. Why? Um, uh, in a general sense, if if I'm like cooking, uh, like whenever I'm making food for my vegan friends, I usually try to find something that's inherently vegan as opposed to trying to make something that tastes not vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of feel the same way about mocktails. I think that uh, you can you have this whole wide world of other things you can do. Um, so for me, as a, I would rather try something different instead of trying to um, replicate or substitute.
0: Okay, okay. Now, Natalie, you have a hand at the non-alcoholic spirit options. How would I make myself a non-alcoholic martini?
7: I feel like there are... Are maybe a few options. I know Seedlip makes like a really um, good NA spirit. Um, They have like a citrus version. Um, I would say maybe starting with that. And then um, the Liars brand, they have a um, NA gin that maybe could work there. But this is something that I've been wanting to explore, especially since we got some new things to market. I'm just curious as to how with that being such a, a booze forward cocktail in general, how it would be able to hold up uh spirit wise. But I'm definitely down to try okay, to we're make gonna, that happen. <laughs> we're gonna give
0: you we're gonna give you a month to okay. perfect it and then the this is Nashville team is coming to the continental.
7: Let's go. Challenge accepted.
0: Awesome. That's what we're gonna do. Now 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 Drea, you know. Well, we'll lay off the martinis for a minute, but how can, you know, some Cali-sober drinks, what are some Cali-sober drinks that I can make at home that are be really tasty?
6: Well, the, the challenge you'll run into there is uh, in what form you are acquiring your hemp extract, right? So um, in order to produce something that is Cali-sober, you either need to be in a cannabis legal state mm. or uh, you would need to buy a hemp extract, Um, And then you would usually find that in like a dropper form. And then you would just, uh, you know, put that in within the drink that you're mixing.
0: So for anybody who wants to give dry February a chance or just maybe not drink booze for the night, what do you recommend as a good starter non-alcoholic drink for them, Drea?
6: well i I can't help myself here I mean you've kind of teed it up i've got to say, uh, go for a better than booze. Can I say that I mean, I think you know when it when it comes to the the mocktail side and doing this at home, you know part of my fascination with the non alk beverage sector and certainly the cali sober side of it was how can I have a wonderful tasting cocktail that I can have after a long day but i don't frankly have the time or the patience to sit and concoct something out of six amazing different ingredients um, that I've had to go to five different stores to find to produce a cocktail. I don't have the education base like these fabulous guests that you have on here. So for me, it was really a grab and go option. You know, so to have a wonderful uh, mojito, we canned it like an RTD alcohol beverage, but without the alcohol and that's the grab-and-go for me.
0: Now, I know this may reflect to your business interests, but do you see the advent of non-alcoholic CBD-infused products, you see that gaining more popularity across the country?
6: Oh, yes, and even here in Nashville and Tennessee, I mean, there is a wonderful expanded option set that is coming to the market now. And I think they can all coexist. You're seeing CBD beverages, you're seeing adaptogen beverages and nootropics category coming about. And these are all infused with ingredients that might be mood enhancing or for relaxation or just for better wellness or sharper mind. And, you know, so as we Um, become more uh, sophisticated in our ingredient layouts and how to put them together into something that is really tasty, you're seeing more and more of this come to the market as better options and a deeper array of options for the consumer, which is uh, so appreciated, I think, from all of us. All
0: right, one last question. i got 30 seconds left, so we'll split time. Bo, what is a good starter, non-alcoholic drink for people? Make a make non alcoholic Moscow mule. It already kind of just tastes like
8: ginger and lime juice, anyways. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Simple and easy. Natalie?
7: Um, I would say maybe doing a zero proof Negroni is a fun one because that one always wows people.
0: All right. Natalie Newberry is the lead bartender at the Continental, and Beau Galtier is the owner and operator of Bay 6. Drea Groschel is the founder of Better Than Booze. I want to thank you all for being here, and thanks for exciting. My thirst. I'm gonna go maybe have myself a mocktail for lunch. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Next week, Nashville is a hub of country music, but it's also the center of the Christian music universe. We'll learn more about that global genre. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Laurent Janamir Blade. Special thanks to Cindy Abrams and Alexis Marshall. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at ThisIsNashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you next week, everybody. And be good to each other.